Hey everybody, this is TJ Pierce with Mid-Century Homes, and today uh, for our very first podcast, we have Mr. Greg Phillips joining us on the show. And for those of you who have watched our accounts on social media and on our website, uh, we got the opportunity to help Greg Phillips sell his family home that was built by Art Troutner and was called the Phillips Home. It was a one-owner home, and Greg came to us with the opportunity to help uh, market it and share it in order to source the next homeowner. And some of the stories that we got the opportunity to hear um, from Greg, we'd like to ask uh, in this podcast and let you get the opportunity to hear more about Greg and his story. So, hey, Greg, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you being with us. My pleasure. Hey, Greg, um, real quick, tell the audience, who are you? Well, I'm one of, uh, I've got a twin brother, Jeff, and he and I grew up in the what is now known as the Phillips House. My dad was John Phillips, uh, Dr. John Phillips. He was head of psychology department at Boise State. My mom was Elaine. And we were fortunate to, to live in that home for, you know, basically from uh, eight years on until the point we uh, left after graduation from college. We, my brother and I went to South Junior High, which is right behind our, the property there, and then on to Bora, and then went to Boise State on football scholarships and uh, finished out our our uh, undergraduate work uh, there. Uh, so that we, we had the pleasure of spending a lot of years in that home from the very beginning. And, and my folks, of course, were a great environment as far as being where, where to grow up as a kid. Yeah, and, and you'd call yourself an Idaho boy, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. We, I left for a while for, for my uh, job, but I came back after, after I retired. Awesome. Hey, what do you do? Well, uh, after graduation, uh, I ended up going on one job interview. It was interesting and hired on with a small company at the time called Eaton Laboratories, and I, which became later Procter & Gamble Pharmaceuticals. I oh, okay. A, a sales rep initially here in Idaho, and then I went to be a, a hospital rep covering teaching hospitals of Washington and Oregon, and then became a district manager and until I retired after 35 years with uh, what was then Procter & Gamble, uh, I had a team of the Northwest covering four to five states, depending on the configuration, with 10 to 15 sales representatives. My twin brother went on after uh, graduation and got a Ph.D. in human factor psychology, kind of following my dad's uh, Ph.D. Uh, realm. And he uh, ended up recently uh, uh, retiring. He was a chief technology officer at uh, Lockheed Martin, but he uh, recently retired after he was got a PhD in human factor psychology, which basically is man machine interface, which turns into, you know, computers. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, hey, for those that don't know who Art Troutner is and what the Phillips home is, could you give us your best um, attempt at explaining uh, this home called the Phillips home? What, what it, tell us more about the house. Okay, well, it really is truly a one of a kind. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's basically everything about the house is triangular. You've got uh, posts that go to three corners that go up about 30 feet and meet in the middle with a triangle where the fireplace comes up. And on that, you've got an A frame that's uh, laid out uh, with everything kind of uh, leveraged on those uh, center beams on the three side. It's kind of, it was using the first uh, use of a truss deck, which was developed by Art Troutner. It was 
pieces of uh, tongue and groove, uh, one by six tongue and grooves with metal triangles put between two layers. And it made it possible for the first time to have very, very large spans of uh, roof and flooring uh, without basically any support structure for them. So this was uh, the first use of that. And Art Troughton was kind of a, a one-of-a-kind, <laughs> unique guy. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and in terms of when the home was being built, there was nothing around you that was nowhere near what this home was like. Agreed? Oh, yeah. There was, yeah, there was nothing. Well, actually, the banks, they had a heck of a time getting a bank. I was reading an article when we were, we were helping pull out some historical stuff for the new owner to put through for the historical society. And there was an article written by uh, uh, Dr. Nels Reese uh, from the University of Idaho, and it was it was Art Troutner, uh, the Idaho genius, and he he talked about the fact that uh, uh, let me see, I've got a Dr. Phillips and Troutner had a difficult time finding a bank that would lend money on such an outlandish piece of architecture. <laughs> so it was not exactly the easiest thing to get through. Yeah, and do I remember you telling me a story about what uh, neighbors were saying um, about its construction? Yeah, well, what happened is that the, high, the junior high right behind it, so it was actually the construction crews, because of the way that the beams went up, they were those three-corner uh, three triangular uh, setup where these huge beams went up to the middle, and they met in that triangle. And the, the carpenters were telling the uh, junior high kids that it was a missile launching test site because <laughs> it also had a big uh, concrete slab in the middle. So it, it could have potentially been something like that. Right, right. That, that's so they had a lot of fun with it. Totally. That's pretty interesting. Well, Getting the opportunity to grow up in such a unique home, um, I would love to hear um, two of your favorite memories. I would say one, as you were being raised in the home, and maybe a favorite memory of yours later on in life. Well, there, there are a lot of memories. Of course, we started at the house when it was being constructed. Uh, my dad, of course, they were on a limited budget. Originally, uh, when... He, my dad reached out to Art Troutner asking about would he, would he consider uh, working as a contractor and as a uh, uh, architect for him so they could maybe afford more house. Uh, uh, he uh, set a budget of like 20, 20 grand, and it, it, later on it grew to 25000 was what they uh, tried to stay at. Unfortunately, of course, as, uh, according to the, uh, the write-ups and the architectural journals, they didn't quite keep in that budget. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Art ended up probably losing money on it because every time they turned around, he wanted to have some more artistic thing they wanted to add, and there was no money in the budget. So my dad, uh, he moved out of the college courts where we were staying. We moved into a chicken coop uh, behind the house. And uh, during that, uh, the summer of the year was being uh, constructed, my dad would then work on different projects. Uh, there was some, they wanted stone in the entryway uh, on the hall, which you've seen. And that was originally not in the plan, but Art was able to get the rock for free, and my dad laid it. Yeah. And then uh, my dad did all the staining of the, uh, the, the uh, brick walls that were around the outsides, and he also did all the sanding on the, on the eyebrows, the wood eyebrows that stick out, and all the inside. A wood before it was finished. Right. So they tried to do whatever they could to cut the cost down, and as it was, according to the stories, uh, Art still lost money. <laughs> they put 
put a slate roof on it. It was originally supposed to be a asphalt roof, but Art got the slate uh, from his brother who had a stone quarry, and they put that that on because Art just had to have that artistic piece. Right, right. So many great stories about the process of actually building the home, but I just mean like as a kid. Like, do you have do you have a memory or something that you really remember growing up in the home after it was built? That that's okay. one of those memories that has stayed with you for your life. Yeah, my bro- of course I got the twin brother Jeff, and our, our bedroom uh, was is basically one big triangular uh, one side of the house, a big triangular uh, room that's separated by a closet that the closet's about oh probably seven seven and a half feet tall and the ceilings are 15 maybe 16 feet tall yeah and as kids we each had a bed on either side of that and we would spend late into the night gibbering jabbering and laughing and stuff my folks would always they'd come in and say could you guys just go to bed and my brother being a little mischievous the, the, the walls uh, interior walls are made out of a, a special cork that uh, cork walls that have uh, then uh, they've got holes in them so they're very light very strong but they're like 15 feet uh, tall one piece but they've got a little bit of a stickiness to them yeah they're tacky yeah a little tacky yeah. so my brother he would lay on his bed and he would take his socks and he'd see how high he could get those socks to stick on the wall. <laughs> so my mom, my mom would come in in the morning, and she'd have to get a stick to knock those socks down that were like 10, 12 feet up in the, on the wall. <laughs> but it was, it was really a great place to grow up. And, yeah. and we didn't really realize how unique it was until we left. Oh, totally. Up. You know, because, you know, we were there through the construction and everything. And right. it was just a great experience, though. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I'm, I'm curious also, um, this relationship between your father and Art, how did that come to be? Well, it's interesting. We were going through, again, trying to find some historical uh, pieces uh, for uh, the new owners because they're, they're putting it for the historical society and i found a letter uh that he wrote to art troutner and i'm going to go ahead i'll just read it to you it says dear mr troutner mrs john butler has referred us to you as a person most likely to be able to assist us in our present dilemma my wife and i have decided to build a house and we can see our way clear to about twenty thousand dollar limit but it seems uh, we want more uh what what we want for that money is two things that are so far have proven mutually exclusive i.e we want a house with a lot of living space per dollar and we want one which at once uh, meets our particular needs as a family and in itself a work of art the alternative so far seemed to be use a stock plan and get the space Two, hire an architect to cater to our special needs both utilitarian and aesthetic, and three, work directly with a contractor uh, in an attempt to achieve the same goals as number two without the necessity of hiring a separate architect. Number three seems on its face to be uh, the logical choice, but the trouble is we have yet to meet the contractor who is also a creative artist. (laughs) You are a contractor, uh, our uh, informant affairs, and it is obvious from the few examples of your work uh, we have seen that you are an artist. Can you help us out in this dilemma? And that's where it kind of started. Isn't that amazing? That's really cool. I remember 
going up to art had this big circular his uh, circular house up on the on table rock and as a kid we went up there and well my dad and he worked for hours going through figuring out this weird wild design we'd go out and play around the outside in the sagebrush and stuff uh because that's that it, they both wanted this creative piece and they got it right right love hearing those stories about the inception of you know uh, a consumer or a you know prospective homeowner who has the challenges of not only providing the utilitarian function of needing a home but is finding somebody that is artistic and creative enough to meet their aesthetic desire for a home as well i mean that's a great story i love that yeah, we, we when we found this letter, we hadn't seen that until we started digging into the files, and it was uh, it was great find for us. You know, and the other thing is, he, you know, he wanted twenty thousand initially, but obviously, Arf moved him up to twenty five before they got done. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. That as as it does with I think most people who are aspiring for. Um, you know, compelling works of art that are aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah, it kind of builds, it grows. Right, exactly. Well, hey, one thing that um, we have noticed in the process of working in our niche market, helping people buy and sell um, these properties built in this mid-century era, um, do you mind telling the, the audience how old you are? I'm uh, 68, almost 69. Yeah. And and what we have seen are people from your generation who spent time growing up in these homes, they usually have one of two reactions. It's, it's either that the era of home is so special that they can't live in anything else, um, or they have the opposite effect uh, or reaction that they don't ever want anything to do with the home from that era again. <laughs> Where do you fall on that map? Well, we loved the house and uh we would have loved we we had a real hard time giving it up uh, particularly my my kids because they had that experience uh growing up of going to this wonderful unique one-of-a-kind home and spending those hours with my folks they had these wonderful memories but we were in a position where uh me as an example i i'm into cars and stuff i have a four car garage plus a 1500 square foot shop so <laughs> it wouldn't work out for me but my daughter was unfortunately in a position where she couldn't do it and she just built a brand new home and so what we did do because we loved the house so much we had it built into the uh, sales agreement that if they ever resell the house we get first right of refusal because you know, it needs somebody that could come in right now and do the thing, little things that need to be done. And Sue and her husband, who uh, purchased a home, are just wonderful people, and they're doing the little things that have to be done. Yeah. And and uh, they're just perfect people to take it over. But if they ever sell it, we want to have the opportunity to potentially buy it back. Yeah, that's, that's what we love the house. Yeah. So, so I would say that your answer is probably a foot on both sides of the conversation. You're not running from it because. You, ha you love it and have such a high value and appreciation for it. But at the same time, your hobbies don't really allow right. you to live within the context of what most mid-century homes have to offer um, because of your, you know, hobbies of, of cars and, you know, having shop space. Is that yeah, fair to that, say? That was, that was really the uh, deciding factor is just yeah. the things that I have to have to function and the things that I do. 
Yeah. And my daughter, she's hoping that if they do resell it, she'll be in a position <laughs> where she can buy it because she, well, you know, you met her. She had, she has solved a lot of tears yeah. when we put, put her on the market. She yeah. really had a hard time with it. Not an easy thing to do with so many special mm-hmm. memories created there. Yeah. yeah, we understand. Um, you know, we skipped uh, one of our, the second part of our question, which was um, a memory that you have later on in life um, regarding the home and your time spent in it. Well, I think really most of it's bringing the kids back and the memories. We'd come together for Christmases and stuff there. And uh, my brother, he was all over the country, and he just moved back to Idaho just recently. But we all would get together there and be able to kind of join up with my folks until my mom passed away. Uh, we were able to all come together in that one special place, and the memories we developed there were just just incredible just from being able to share that house with my folks and the special times yeah um, you know at, at, at christmas and thanksgiving and things like that yeah and and granted you got the opportunity to do that in a very unique home um and and a lot of people have those memories that are not you know it's it's with their family who has kept a family home for so long but not necessarily in a super unique home so in your particular scenario you have extreme fond memories of not only the people that were gathering at the family home that stayed in the family for so long, but you also have really special memories for the space and and how it operated and allowed your family to live in the context of it because it was so unique architecturally as well. Yeah, and of course I had the opportunity in the last, probably when we moved back after I retired, my dad was, uh, of course, having some health issues and stuff, so I spent a tremendous amount of time there at the house. Yeah. And uh, they even gave me a better chance to kind of bond with him and then also with the house. Totally. Uh, I've been gone for a while, 25 years in Seattle, and then when I came back, it all comes back to you. Totally, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Hey, last question. Um, just kind of a, a fun way to end our uh, podcast for the day. Um, what's one thing about yourself that maybe the general public might not know about you? Well, probably uh, I was fortunate to be uh, starting offensive tackle uh, with Boise State when we played our first nationally televised game back in 1971, the Camellia Bowl. Okay. And we had uh, we had actually six guys from Bora High School that were on the starting offense. And my brother hadn't hurt his knee. We would have had seven, which is kind of once in a, a lifetime uh, occurrence. Yeah, absolutely. So. That's cool. And uh, and you and your brother grew up playing at the junior high football squad at South, right? Yeah, junior high, and then Bora. Uh, we played there, and then on to Boise State until he got his knee wiped. He already had a surgery in high school, and they finally. Uh, after reconstruction again in college, and they said, you're done, and paid a scholarship out me, which was good because he wouldn't have probably gotten into grad school if he hadn't hit the books so hard his last two years. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Greg, uh, really appreciate the time that you've given us uh, today for this first and pilot episode of our podcast. Uh, thanks to all you listeners out there. Um, we have uh, decided that we want to share the stories that we have collected uh, along our journey with the people that we find so special that we get to do business with. Um, so stay tuned. Look forward to more of these. Uh, we have a list that we're piling through of 45 other people that are uh, just as or maybe even more interesting than Mr. Greg Phillips. So, Greg, thanks again for your time. Um, again, audience, thanks for uh, listening in. And we will see you next time. Adios. Thank mm-hmm. you.